right, you guys, welcome back to Little Man Big Conversations. I am, of course, the Little Man. You may know me as James or LJ or Flash. I thank you for coming back in again today. I'm very, very excited. This is a guest I wanted to interview for a long time. I've known this guy for close to oh, 10, 11 years now. He's, uh, he's a very good friend of mine. He's a brother. He's a fellow cancer survivor. You may know him as Australian Wolf, but I know him as Mason Charles. Mason, how the hell are you, man? Yeah, doing well. Thanks, man. How are you? And I am excited. I'm revved up. I am really, really pumped to have you be a part of this podcast for its first season. And I thank you for coming on and giving me your time, man. I really appreciate it. Ah, oh, not a problem at all. Glad I could be a part of it. So, Mason, I've known you since 2009. Would that be about right? I think it would be, yeah. Yeah, just after the um, the big split that happened in Queensland wrestling after it was just MIW. Um, and then basically there was three groups, then it came down to two. And then we tried to start doing a feud between IPW and uh, PWA Queensland. And yeah. it sort of just stalled in the ground, unfortunately. Yeah, I remember that's the first time I, I remember physically seeing you. But yeah, you may not know this, but I actually knew of you long before I ever met you because when I joined IPW, I was exposed to all the old tapes and all the old posters and a few of the old guard, well, old guard, a few of the originals. <laughs> I'm sure they yeah. prefer me using the term originals. Um, <laughs> few of the originals were still down there and there was old, you know, card mock-ups and posters and things like that. And I'd always heard the name Mason Childs. And I, because I was sort of like a monkey see, monkey do young green wrestler back then, I was like, where is this person you are speaking of? And they went, oh, he's no longer here. And it was kind of like a why. And then sort mm. of the, you know, the, the shady dog at the end of the symptoms looking around the room like, oh, he's just not here. But <laughs> I, I got hold of. MIW tapes. So I still have to this day MIW Major Impact Wrestling chapters one to four. So that's how oh, I yeah. that's how I was first exposed to you as a performer. And I went, oh, that's the guy they're all speaking of. And I've got to say, man, that first time I physically saw you in person, I was really like nervous. I was really nervous when a lot of the guys came back for that first official reunion show that IPW held. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of old faces, and a lot of the young guard, arguably at that point, just went, "Oh, you've been here before." Shrug, cool. But for me, it was like going to the Oscars and seeing everyone that had sort of helped build this company, and I was like, "Wow, there's that guy that you know, it, it made your impact too. He did this, and wow, there's this guy." <laughs> I was, I was marking out, and I was sitting real hard in that locker room trying to not get up and high five and pretty much geek out. And I don't know if selfies were as popular as they were back then, but I think even asking for an autograph or something, but I was really intimidated, but it wasn't like a standoffish thing. It was more like a, wow, there's, there's, that's the guy. That's the guy <laughs> that everyone talks about. So yeah, man, like I, I knew oh. of you way before I met you. Oh, awesome. 
Yeah, I kept an eye on um, what was happening at IPW. Well, when we left, it was still called um, MIW. Mm-hmm. And that was about end of 2006. That, okay. that was probably the last time I was there, like, as an official roster member. And, um, yeah, the last match I had there was at Southport RSL. Yeah. And I wrestled Ryan Eagles for the um, okay. MIW heavyweight title. Right. And, yeah, and it was a huge show. It was like, oh, God, it must have had – I think there was 12 matches wow. and a rumble and a rumble. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And that last show, um, if you ever get the chance to see the footage, um, it had a debuting Mark Davis, AJ Istria, um, quite a few of the guys that at that time, around that time when we had the sweatshop, mm-hmm. um, it was pretty much me and Sweetass training people. Okay. And um, the guys that sort of picked up on that indie style, like the Ring of Honor style, and we'd all hang out and we'd watch the Ring of Honor DVDs and all the other guys were sort of like into WWE and they were Randy Orton fans and John Cena fans. <laughs> but we were we were into Brian Danielson, who's now Daniel Bryan, and mm-hmm. AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and, yeah, we sort of had our own little thing going on and um, yeah, basically it ended up being XSE trying to do something for God. I think they did like they left in 2005 Mm -hmm. and they were trying to do, they were just training and training and training and training. And I think they ended up doing four shows before they went under and their last their last one was actually four matches. And, wow. um, yeah, because I remember we started PWA Queensland and after our second show, no, it was at the second show, um, a whole bunch of the guys from there actually came up to me and were like, XSE's gone under, can we come here? And I was like, right. yeah, sure, come along, uh, come down to training and – um let's have a chat and let's sort of get something going. So, yeah. 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 So that's, that's, uh, I remember the XSE thing and I remember the, I remember hearing of the split happening, but before we get into the wrestling journey, uh, I know that nowadays before we rewind time, before we take the clock hands and rewind it backwards and shrug our shoulders and go, Oh, the clock was always like that before we, before we rewind time. You're now, are, are you still an active wrestler these days? And if so, where are you now? Yeah. Um, I live up in Townsville. Well, I don't think anyone's really active wrestler with this, um, coronavirus yeah. at the moment, but, um, yeah, I've um I've relocated up to Townsville and I've been here for nearly five years now. Wow, man, that's that doesn't feel that long, but yeah, geez, no. those five years have gone fast. <laughs> they really so, have, yeah. So, so you're still active now. You've been in Townsville for five years, but now is the time we look at the clock. We grab those little hands and we start rewinding the time. Take me back to before having the extensive wrestling career you have before. Major Impact Wrestling. Take me back to your origins, man. Were you always 
a Queensland native or have you were you somewhere yeah. else? Yep, um, I was born on the Sunshine Coast. Um, mm-hmm. Grew up there till I was about fifteen. Um, basically, was a wrestling fan. The earliest memory I have was going to the video shop and seeing a Raw Rumble on the shelf, and they had like, <laughs> yes, it was like a cop versus this guy in like insane face makeup versus um, Hulk Hogan versus demolition who looked like mad max and i was like oh mom i really want to rent this and the first (laughs) thing the first thing my mum and dad and my cousin all said was you know that's fake right and i was like it doesn't matter i want to see it this is cool what is this what is this and um yeah i started watching then and i got hooked like straight away like Legion of Doom, Demolition, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man. They were like all my favorites. And then I got a little bit older and I got into basketball, which was like super, super popular at the time. And, um, yeah, started playing basketball for a long time. And then um, Foxtel and OzStar came out and I started – seeing that uh, WCW was on. And yeah, man. Me too, for, yep. Yeah, for some reason I had the day off because the pay-per-views in Australia are obviously on Monday morning. And mm-hmm. I saw Bash at the Beach 96. And I was like, oh, wow, Diesel and Razor are on here. And they're just kicking the crap out of um, WCW guys. And then, as yep. we know, Hulk Hogan came out as the third man and, I just thought that was so good. I was like, yeah, I need to keep, I need to rewatch this again. And yeah, just after that, I was wrestling was my life. So, so how long was it that you're on the Sunshine Coast? Um, I was there till I was 15. So like halfway through grade 10. So I did half my schooling at uh, Mauricio State High School. And um, I actually have a sister and she got accepted into um, the Queensland Academy of Sport for Gymnastics. And that's based in Chandler in Brisbane. Wow, I never knew that, man. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she did that for about 18 months. And then um, AIS, their diving is actually based at Chandler. And they started this program where they took uh, gymnasts and former gymnasts and put them into diving. And um, a couple of them from her class actually went on. Uh, that, oh, what's his name? Matthew Mitchum, the guy that okay. got perfect tens, he, and he won a gold medal. He was part of that group. And um, – my sister's best friend ended up going to the Commonwealth Games in 2012. Oh, no, 2010, I think. And yeah. um, she won a um, bronze medal for diving. So, yeah, my sister ended up having to quit it, though, because she got a major wrist injury. And, um, wow. yeah, just couldn't keep training, hitting the water all the time. And, yeah. But, no, so, yeah. I guess in a uh, sports sense, I was always trying to chase her and catch her. <laughs> <laughs> Sibling rivalries, right? Yeah. 
That's it. <laughs> so you, so you, so you moved down from Sunny Coast at fifteen. Where did you end up? You ended up in Brisbane or the Gold Coast? Um, I ended up at Cleveland. So wow, like okay, east so of Brisbane. About halfway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're there till about fifteen, and so I assume you changed schools from Maroochydore to another one close to Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland High School. Yeah. Okay. And what was that like? Because I because I know firsthand that when I moved up from New South Wales to Queensland, mm-hmm. I was starting grade eight. And when I moved to Queensland, they went, oh, no, grade eight down there is grade nine up here. So I had uh-huh. to hit the reset button hard. But yeah. what I found out was my very first day of grade nine was orientation day getting everyone prepared because the next day, my second ever day of high school was grade nine camp. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is the equivalent of having that dream. That is equivalent of having yeah. that dream where you're a kid and you're at school and everyone's laughing at you. And in your dream, you look down, you're not wearing pants. That was like that. But in real life, it yeah. was just complete. Where am I? So was that a similar experience for you hitting the reset button and going from Maroochydore to Cleveland? Was was that hard to start seemingly start again in high school? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I really didn't like going to Cleveland High School. And um yeah, the day I graduated was probably one of the my favorite days there. Probably the favorite day there. I just didn't like people there like I have friends that I still talk to from there I've got maybe like two or three close friends that I had but um yeah I just didn't like the place was that was it the teachers or was it the kids or what was it about that you just didn't like oh combination of all of it in hindsight I probably should have just left and gone to TAFE and done a trade straight away or something like that but um yeah Everyone told me to stick it out, so I stuck it out, ended up graduating and then moving on to real life. But <laughs> at the same time, at the same time, I'm glad I moved to Brisbane because there's lots of opportunities. Like I probably wouldn't have gone into wrestling had I um, lived on the Sunshine Coast. So, Yeah, yeah, Sunshine Coast doesn't have the wrestling scene it does now. So no. You're in, well, not you're in back Cleveland. in the early 2000s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you've graduated. You're a graduate of, of Cleveland. How do you get from being a high school graduate to wrestling? Was there an immediate transition into that, or did you have some part-time jobs and see a flyer or get a phone call? What was it that got you into becoming a fan of watching The Bash at the Beach to getting in that squared circle yourself? Um, well, I ended up finding Japanese wrestling, which mm-hmm. like, and uh, Jushin Liger is like my hero. He's um, the goat. He's my favorite yep. of all time. So I started collecting wrestling tapes and I started chatting to quite a few people that were collecting the tapes. And one of them who nearly ended up being my brother-in-law, he uh, said, oh, I'm going to go watch this show at um, Wynnum Leagues Club. And last time I went, there was this guy in a hockey mask and he did a leg drop off the top rope through a table, which is uh, a <laughs> cruise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he like really, really hyped it up. And Wynnum from Cleveland is maybe like 15, 20 minutes. So it was close enough. 
And at the time, I think it was $15. So ended up catching the train there, going and watching it. And they advertised training. And I was like, oh, well, I could probably give this a go, considering some of the people that I saw on there. And, um, yeah, basically got a hold of um, Pete. And the rest is history. Yeah, started training at uh, Southport. Did you travel down from Cleveland to Southport every day for training? Um, it was only once a week at that time. Um, okay. Because when they fir- when I first started, it was basically like two people doing a one hour session with crews, and yeah. basically like. He'd just teach you the basics, and then once you got good enough, you're allowed to go in with the show guys. And yeah. took quite a while. And, yeah, it was me and I think it's the – what's his name now? He's just returned to AWL, um, Jack Tar. Yeah. It was, a, yeah, it was actually me and him, and that was when he first started. And um, he was called Fez. And um, if you remember the set that 70s show? Yes, Fez, foreign exchange student. Yes, yes. He was very much like him. He was, like, real young and innocent, and he was, like, this church kid. But, like, he'd done swimming when he was in school, so, like, he was way more jacked than all of us. I didn't – I hadn't seen the inside of a gym ever by the time I first started. <laughs> um, and, yeah, basically we just went from there. I think I ended up training for nearly 18 months before I debuted. That uh, Major Impact 3 was my debut show. That was your debut? Yeah, in that interactive gauntlet. That's insane. So how long was it before, from from starting training to having your first show, how long was it for you? It was definitely over a year. A year? Wow, man. So that was – Did you were you passionate for that entire year? Was there some points where you went, man, I wish I'd hurry up and debut? Or did you just enjoy being a part of it to a certain extent? Um, it did get frustrating for quite a while. Um, I was finding, like, learning the psychology, the way they taught it um, – it really just didn't click for me for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, you got to do this and this and um, show it to Pete. But, like, I look back and I go, yeah, if I was training me, I would have said this, I would have done this. Um, but, yeah, it just took me a whole long time to get it. But one of those things, when you get it, you got it. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. Uh, For myself firsthand, I I remember having my first come to Jesus moment. I never thought that when I started my journey that I'd ever be wrestling. I I know that we trained under the same tutelage and the same um, Mm. man, Hawk. Um, And I I remember getting in that ring and I thought, man, I'm going to turn to dust Someone's going to hit me and I'm going to be evaporated from reality. And I remember taking my first bump, starting from the, you know, starting the roll back and working up to a standing position, having fighting that survival mechanic of your body going, no, I don't want to hit this. This is wrong. Yeah. And I remember taking my 
after some time taking my first proper bump and I remember having my come to Jesus moment where I hit flat back, I hit it fine. And I remember lying there looking up at those lights going, Oh God. And I had my first come to Jesus moment. What was the first come to Jesus moment like for you, man? Oh, it was probably, um, cause that interactive gauntlet was technically my uh, debut in inverted mm-hmm. commas. But the first singles match that I ever had was against BJ Blade. And I think um, going out and having that match with him and not only, like, being able to do it, but having people, like, tell me that it was one of the better ones on the show, which at the time was all BJ. Like, he was was the man at that point. Like, he was getting classics out of everyone. So... Uh, that was probably my um, holy shit sort of moment in that mm. sense. Yeah. What was your first bump like? Do you remember taking your first bump in that ring, your flat back bump? What was that memory oh, like for you? Yeah, I remember I wasn't tucking my head. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> basically, yeah, going back quite a bit, uh, when it was called WCW Australia, they were advertising a two-day camp. And me and, like, three other guys went in and um, we gave it a shot. And I'm the only one out of those three that, like, stuck through with it. But, oh like, yeah, we were hitting our heads and, like, by the end of the first day, I'm pretty sure I had a concussion. <laughs> um, I, was, I was just, yeah, then we went in and tried to do the Sunday and we got to about lunchtime. And yeah, I was fucked. I was just like, oh, and everyone was all fucked. And uh, Cruz was like, yeah, we might call it there. None of you look like you're ready for any more. And <laughs> then, um, and then I, yeah, it took me a little while because the job I was working at was night shift, and uh, all through the week was uh, night session, so um, I couldn't get to them and. Yeah, I just didn't have the money either. But, yeah, from that first one, it was probably maybe three or four months, and then I got into it. And then once I was there, I was in it full time and training once a week. And then, yeah, getting up to three times a week. And then I got a better job when I was doing an apprenticeship, and I got steady money and all that, and that's when it really took off for me. Having a concussion on your first day, that's pretty intense. Yeah. So you've had I don't know had, if it was actual concussion or just super dizzy and out of it, but yeah. You've been super dizzy and out of it on your first day. You yeah. stuck it out for a year. You had your debut and then what happened? Was it all sort of all guns blazing at that point or was there still a bit of a bit of a stop start kind of vibe to the wrestling at that point? Um well, the first one I did was Major Impact 3, and mm-hmm. I definitely wasn't ready. I was just mm-hmm. sort of in there to make up numbers and get people along, which yep. like a lot of rookies at that point are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have my first singles, like proper singles match till Major Impact 6. And at the time, they were doing shows maybe once every two months, which is why they were so loaded so i had my debut and then i think i waited like three or four months and then i had a singles match but then after that 
um, I was on there fairly regularly. So once you'd hit your regular stride, what came first? Did, did the development of your character come first or were you put into a feud straight away? Um, no, it took me ages before I got any sort of storyline or anything. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, I was a massive fan of low-key. Looking back, I would have hated wrestling. Right now, me would have absolutely despised wrestling young me because I just threw <laughs> everything for real and I was just a little asshole. Uh, me and or the friend, me, the friend that introduced me to these live shows and another one of our mates, we used to go out every Friday night, and this is back when MIW used to do weekly shows. Okay, yeah. So, so basically we'd go out Friday night, get up, be hungover as all hell, uh, <laughs> drive down to the Gold Coast, put up with someone like Weird One and just be in a horrible mood and um, just go out there and encourage people to beat me up while I beat them up. <laughs> taking liberties no it wasn't taking liberties it was uh, it was more so just hitting I was hitting safe but I was hitting hard okay. and um, yeah and that ended up them find uh, a guy his real name's Brad Soul um, he ended up coming along a bit into the piece and that was really when I sort of got a feud going on and me and him, we just clicked. There's guys that you can get in there with and you just click. And, yeah, me and him had some awesome matches. And still to this day, like, the um, the last match I had as Mason before I actually took time off for a neck injury was against him. And I still rate it as one of my absolute best singles matches I've ever had. Wow, man. Is there anywhere that people can check out that match? Did it ever get filmed? Do you know? It definitely got filmed. Um, it, I've been trying to find it on, um, on YouTube. I think it's up there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. So it could be lost in my parents' attic. <laughs> <laughs> We're all good wrestling sh- shall remain. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you've... you've you had your first major feud, but you also just mentioned then that you had a neck injury. Was that in wrestling or was that outside? Yeah. And, and how did that how did that happen for you? In 2010, we had a bunch of shows leading up to um, what at the time was Rise of the Warriors, which was two night, sixteen man tournament. And mm. we did this um, show that Mark Williamson, who's awesome guy easily one of the best people I ever met in life, let alone wrestling. Mm. He set up, he got us this paid gig in uh, Nambucca, which is about halfway between Brisbane and Sydney. And I wrestled Bishop Summers in the first round of this Nambucca Cup that we were doing to basically put someone into Rise of the Warriors. So whoever won that small tournament went into the big one. And uh, Bishop Summers gave me a double underhook pile driver, but Oof. we don't know what went wrong. And I landed on my head and neck and shoulder and um, yeah, ended up spraining my neck and it just wasn't getting any better for quite a while. And um, yeah, 
my family was like, you're going to end up paralyzed if you keep going. So call it. And yeah, basically I was pretty much done. Everyone was like, we're going to plan for you to come back, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't want that. Just let me be. And yeah, I ended up taking probably nine months off because I've ended up finding a pretty good uh, physio and they ended up helping me with my next stuff. And now it's pretty much all good. What was that experience like having your first, I guess, oh, major, major injury? Yeah. Did you have the gongs yeah. go off? Did you have what everyone says that happened? happened? Um, no, I, I knew that I'd done something to my neck. But okay. so like, as I laid there, I like wiggle my toes and I was like, okay, I still move my toes and I still feel my feet. This mm. can't be that bad. Yeah. Um, and the worst thing was I'd started a new job and I had to, we drove back overnight. I slept in the car and I woke up four hours later and went to work with a bung neck. So through the week, I ended up going to the physio and they were like, okay, this is what you need to start doing. And I actually wrestled uh, Shane Haste, who's now Shane Thorne in yep. um, NXT. And yeah, I had one of the best matches of my career with a um, sprained neck and I just didn't really tell anyone. But at the same time, after that show, we had two months off, so... Okay. I was able to rehab it a decent amount there, but it was just one of those ongoing niggling things that I had to just give a rest to eventually. Yeah, it's it's super scary, man. And I can relate. Uh, in 2013, I did a similar thing when I wrestled mm. up at Sunny Coast and a move went wrong and I was sort of in midair and backflipped and landed crunch right on my neck and I felt the Ooh. same man I, I I had the gong go off and I thought man uh, this is this is not good but similar mm. to your story I, I was able to move my leg and uh wriggle my toes wriggle my fingers and I went okay cool but I remember shortly after that that everything just felt heavy that match just felt mm. real heavy at that point and the damn finish was an elbow drop off the turnbuckle and I oh. and I went well I wasn't experienced at that point to sort of say, hey, I can come up with another finish. I, I went and did what we said we were going to do. So there I am holding my neck in midair, jumping off the the turnbuckle to come down with an elbow drop. And, man, I could have done more damage to myself than the other guy did. And it was completely accidental. Yeah. But it is a scary feeling. So yeah. you went to the physio and everything was okay? Nothing was broken or fractured or anything like that? No, no, it's just sprained. Man, super lucky. So yeah, that was that was your injury. Mm. So you've had your first feud against Soul. How long was it yeah. after your first feud that you went and then said, "Okay, I'm out of here and I'm going to start PWAQ"? And I don't mean that insensitively, but yeah, you are one of the main figureheads in history that went and decided to leave Major Impact Wrestling, which is now known as IPW, at that point. Yeah. What was it that led up to you saying, I'm out of here, and how long was it after you left that you decided to start PWAQ? Um, well, basically, the whole scene was just getting really nasty. It was the XSE guys 
hated MIW and MIW hated XSE. And there was a bunch of us that were friends with everyone. And we were like, why don't we just go start a place where everyone's welcome and we'll just be middle ground and we'll just focus on us and we'll do our own thing and we'll let those two groups um, fight over the Gold Coast. We'll yeah. go get set up in Brisbane. Okay. And um, so we decided that around June 2006. Oh, no, it was probably a little bit later, maybe September, October. And then we did one final show for Pete. Um, and then the next week or two, we said, we're going to go off and we're going to start doing our own thing. We want to do the right thing. I was offering to drop the belt because I was champion at the time. And he was just like, no, no, just give it here. And um, we finished up in at the end of the year with MIW. And then we just started training. We trained for about five months. And we had our um, PWAQ debut show in May 2007. Who put together the concept of starting up something else and and was the name something that you'd always had in the back of your mind or was it just a well this sounds different or how did that um, come about okay so at the time pwa was based in melbourne yeah and um it was run by lobo and basically they were like the top company in all of australia mm. and I ended up actually getting booked down there through uh, Cremator on a couple of their shows. And I was basically working um, MIW in Queensland. I was working UWA in Sydney and I was working PWA in Melbourne. And there were some times where I'd be Melbourne the Friday, uh, back home the Saturday and then Sunday down in Sydney because back in the day they used to do a lot of Sunday RSL shows. Yeah. So through that I met quite a few people and uh, at the time Mark Williamson was going to start a PWA in Sydney because the whole thing was to get a PWA in every state and go from there. But by the time we agreed to do one in Sydney and one in Queensland – uh, the Melbourne one ended up shutting down before we even got into it. Oh, there was one in Canberra as well. Okay. So so uh, Melbourne was going to be the base, mm-hmm. and they ended up starting – oh, the Canberra group, which was Capital Pro Wrestling at the time, that ended up becoming PWA Canberra. And then a PW Adelaide started, and it went for like two shows. And uh, then in 2007, in April, the current PWA, they had their debut show and we had ours in May. And basically there was a working deal at first and then shitty politics and infighting between others sort of caused us to fall out a bit and sort of just do our own things. How long was it since PWAQ was formed to when it ended? How long were you running that place for? We debuted in May 2007. 
Yep. That's when I say it started. But we had about six months worth of uh, training and planning and getting everything together okay. uh, before that. And I would say the end of it was probably December 2011 when I um, retired for the first time. That's a pretty extensive run. That's about, what, four or five years? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And – what caused you to say, I need to get out of here? Were you just burnt out? I was burnt out. Um, the numbers were just terrible. Like our wrestling was top notch. It was up there with the best in the country. But, um, yeah, we were just getting like 40, 50 people to a show. Mm-hmm. And I was just losing my ass financially through it all. And, um, yeah, that's when I went. I can't do this anymore and ended up selling up. Okay. So you got rid of it. You, you said, I'm going to hang up the boots for a bit and you're going to go and experience life. What did you do during this down pick that, that sort of gave you a different perspective and an outlook on your life? So you've walked away from the ring. What were you doing now? Um, I actually was engaged at the time. Okay. Yeah. And, um, I was living in new farm and, yeah, I was enjoying life like that. I thought I was going to get married and start to pursue family life. And then we ended up losing that house because the guy that owned it ended up selling it because he ended up having another kid and needed another house. So right. we ended up in a real – I hated the area. It was Stafford, like on the north side of Brisbane. Yep. I just – I just do not like the north side of Brisbane at all. And we, I just got miserable. And um, my partner at the time, she was getting miserable. And she had to rely on public transport. And there was, it was like a 20-minute walk to get a bus. And so she'd be waking me up first thing in the morning. And I was working night shifts at the time. And, yeah, we just ended up growing apart and uh, I'm currently weighing 85 kilos by the end of it when we pulled the pin I was 102 so I was huge yeah I got really fat and I was really sad and like the closest we'd get would be eating McDonald's after I finished work so (laughs) So when you do that every night yeah you just you need to change your life and you need to change what you're doing. You got out of there, you, you've retired from wrestling, you've had the relationship, it wasn't what you thought it would be. What was next for you? Where, where did you go from there? Because that sounds like a real sort of, and I don't want to be insensitive here, but that sounds like a real sort of dark pit kind of moment. Like that sounds like a, damn, this is what I thought I'd be and it's not working out. So, so what, yeah. what was getting you through at this point? Um, well, a little bit before that, um, I was, I basically wanted to start grindhouse wrestling Okay. and the, for people that don't know, that was my concept. I ran it for two years, um, simply cause we had that real nice venue in the city, which used to be, um, tribal theater. Yeah. Yeah. That's by far the best wrestling venue I've ever promoted out of. I've ever wrestled in Australia out of. It was just perfect. Like everything, it had the tiered seating, 
the ring fit perfectly between the stage and the front row. And when that closed, it was like, ah, fuck. And uh, so we ended up struggling to find a new venue, but I saw um, Globe New Globe Theatre, as they called it, um, was reopening. And I went and talked to the manager there. And I said, look, we were in the city. Um, We want to stay sort of centralised. What do you think? And that's when we took it to um, the Globe Theatre. So So I basically had that gun. So that was you under the, what was it, the AWA banner at that point? That was you that said, hey, let's do an alternate kind of version of a wrestling show. Let's make it more intense, 18 plus. And... Was it you that came up with the concept of the 18 plus grindhouse in the sense of more hardcore, more intense, more production? And was it you that also came up with the idea of having, was it, was it at that point, the burlesque at intermission? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the 18 plus actually came from the managers at tribal because, um, tribal theater was actually BYO. So we were getting some ruckus crowds. We were, getting guys showing up with like eskies and sitting the eskies in the aisles and that sort of thing. And um, there was an incident with a fan who ended up, do you remember the Hockley brothers? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, The Hockley's sister's boyfriend ended up getting super drunk and uh, tried to fight Donnie St. Michael. And as he did, um, Chris Foster grabbed him in a front face lock, put him to sleep, dragged him out of the theater and put him down outside. And, um, yeah, basically one of the promoters that we don't like to talk about made a fake email and started emailing the venue and was wow. saying, I've, me and my kids were so offended. We'd been to shows all around the country and it was just bullshit. You knew who it was. And he basically said, you can either keep having BYO and it's got to be 18 plus, or you can do family friendly shows and there's no BYO, which we should have done from the start. So we went with the um, BYO and that's when it became 18 plus and, all the swearing came out and all the hardcore stuff and that sort of thing. Right. And who came up with the concept of having burlesque during intermission? Was that you as well? Yeah. Um, I actually snaked that idea from um, Josh Hayes and Mark Davis. They did a PWA show at, uh, oh, what was the venue? It was in West End. They did a show there and they had burlesque at, like in a mission and my whole idea was basically is going to be wrestling some form of entertainment and then wrestling to finish off the night and we had live music for a bit I was talking to a magician about coming in and doing like a set and the burlesque uh, was mainly the one that people were getting hyped for so I was like well if you guys want that spot um let's do it and then it just became wrestling and burlesque after that so how long was it from you taking time off to coming back and doing the awa thing did you reach out or did someone say hey man you should come up and do this um well i was looking to do my own thing okay and um 
Jesse Daniels, he just bought AWA from Esteban. Okay. And uh, he was struggling to get guys. And I think he was, he was struggling to get the shows on and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So basically we came to a deal and I ended up taking over most of it, like show-wise, for a good couple of years. And by the end of the second season, again, I was just flat on my ass financially. And I just mm-hmm. told him, I'm like, look, man, you take over. I can't do this anymore. Okay. And, um, yeah, he's he ended up taking over from season three. I helped book most of season three. Mm-hmm. And during that time, um, I got my first offer to go to Japan for Michinoku Pro. So I ended up moving up to Townsville as well because I was just having such a good time up here. And, um, yeah, I figured I'd probably get more work if I was close to Cairns because flying from Cairns to Tokyo is super cheap if you get it at the right time. You can sometimes get return flights for $500. That's a mighty fine deal if you want to go wrestle in Japan, man. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, yeah, such a hard market to crack. Yeah, 100%, <laughs> man, and it's a, yeah. it's a real testament to you as a – as a performer and as a person to be able to crack that market. Cause I remember, mm. I think that was the first time that you and I actually started hanging out since the time I had seen you at that IPW show was the mm. new globe variants of the grindhouse wrestling shows. Because I don't think at that point we'd ever really ever shared a locker room. Um, we knew of each other. We didn't, yeah. we didn't really speak, but there wasn't any hostility. We just didn't really talk, mm. but, I think once we actually hung out in person and, and sort of shared a locker room and shared some stories and, and I could sort of tell you how much I admired what you had done in the major impact mm-hmm. tapes that I had had, I think that was the point there where a lot of those invisible walls came down Yeah, and you and I just were able to talk. So yeah. th- those kind of shows were – I remember them being very intense in the best way possible because – Mm. I think shortly after you had given up the reins, um, I think I joined up with AWA via Kelso Cajones and he said, hey, man, I've got this idea of putting you and another wrestler called Rip Riley together and, you know, we want you guys to be healed. Now, I've never been healed in my damn life. I didn't think <laughs> a guy my size would ever be booed because, oh, so cute, so innocent, you know, little little mm. engine that could. Yeah. But when we went and did that, I think a couple of months after my debut at Grindhouse, you had come back down and you were working a program. And I think that's when we first got to know each other, man. Do you remember those moments? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember hanging out and getting drunk after one of those shows. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's usually where I make most of my friends after the shows and getting drunk. Yeah. It's it's the best way to be. So yes. (laughs) So you've given up the reins to AWA. You're feeling burnt out again. You've, you've mm-hmm. given it to Jesse Daniels. Where does it take you from here? Do you go back to Cleveland or are you back on the sunny coast? Where are you now? I'm up in Townsville by that point. That's a really big move from Cleveland up to Townsville, man. What made you decide, hey, not sunny coast, not Cleveland, not Gold Coast, not Brisbane. I'm going to go top end back to Townsville. What, what was driving <laughs> to Townsville at that point? 
every time I came up here, I was just having a good time and life was getting real stale down there. Like I was doing the same job at the same time. I'd been over to Japan for uh, Dingo's company in Okinawa called Ruku Dragon Pro and um, Kaintai Dojo as well, which is based in Chiba. And um, yeah, I had a girlfriend at the time and three days after my birthday when I was over there, she like ends up messaging me saying that she was breaking up with me. And um, then it, yeah, like basically like my life just fell flat on its ass again. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, I need to change. I need to do something. And I was just having – that was the place I was going where I was having fun or where I am now. I was just having yeah. so much fun. I was like, fuck it, just do it. You haven't done anything very spontaneous in your life ever. So just make a move and see how it goes. How long was it since moving to Townsville to getting back into the wrestling scene? Was there something in Townsville that you wanted to do besides wrestling? Were you burnt out? Were you like, man, I've done Japan. I want to have a bit of a break. Or were you moving to Townsville going, hey, I'm going to start something here. What was your drive heading into Townsville? Um, There was already a market up here. Um, Okay. Like basically um, Island Boy Sai, he started – he started wrestling up here. He, okay. he's, um, he's the Omega man. He's, he was the one that's trained quite a few guys here who are still training. And, um, basically when he moved back down to Brisbane, he sold it. And that's when it went from QCW to QWA. And mm-hmm. I think I came up here and wrestled, um, Tinas on their third or fourth show. I didn't know how far into it it was, but it was very early days. Mm -hmm. And um, everyone, anyone who watched that match still talks to me about it. uh, Carlos Aries and the Choff, they -hmm. were basically done with wrestling and they came to watch that show. And Carlos is like, because of you and Tina's, how good that, how good of a heel you were, I wanted to come back. And I was like, so yeah, like when you hear stuff like that, it's pretty pretty cool. Like it's yeah. great to sort of get that feedback from guys and yeah, also I could see how they were lacking um a strong veteran up here. Cause I'm I've been wrestling nearly ten years longer than the next most experienced guy up here. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've been able to teach them a lot and everything I learned in Japan, everything I learned from Pete, everything I learned from Chris Hero, uh, everything I learned from Shadow Phoenix, I've been able to teach up here. And when I'm very happy with the level of guys that we actually have debut and work mm. and um, their varied styles as well. We have a true proper heavyweight division and middleweight cruiserweight division. And Mm. I really go out of the way to sort of emphasize the moves that the heavyweights should be doing and uh, the smaller guys should be doing and how they sell, how they work, how they do their rope spots, corner spots, all that sort of stuff. 
So it's been very rewarding in that sense that I've helped build a generation in in that way. Like I don't own QWA. Mm-hmm. I definitely help out. I'm pretty much running the training and I'm getting really good results from guys that like uh, we get people in. We had Damien Slater here in January and um, he said how good the guys um, in ring psychology is and Dingo as well. Um, we had the UK legend Marty Jones out mm-hmm. and yep. yeah, he was super impressed with um a guy named EC Brownie and also Sam Cannon. They're they're two big heavyweight guys and they can just move and they're just naturals. I just go like, I'll show them um, some sort of Lucha style role and you've got a 150 kilo guy able to do it. And you've got a six foot, 420 kilo guy able to, jump and land on the top rope and back roll in and forward roll out of the ring and back roll back in. Yeah. It's really cool up here. Um, I get really hyped when I talk about it and go off on tangents and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Um, so, so you're invited to join QCW at the time with Island. No, no, it was uh, QWA. Oh, okay. So it was always QWA. Yep. Yeah, um, I hadn't seen Simon in years because he he actually moved him and um, X rated triple X rated. They yeah. moved over from New Zealand in two thousand and six and right. joined MIW, and um, I knew them from there. And then when we started PWAQ, I asked Simon if he wanted to come, and he was like, "No." I'm loyal to Pete. I'm loyal to the people that give me my first chance. And I was like, that's cool. Like I I respect that a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And I've always had super, super respect for Simon. And um, yeah, I just never ended up getting up there. And then um, when I met Tinas, he was like, oh, come up if you want and we'll have a match. And yeah, just went from there. Simon has been or AKA Island Boy Sai has been such yeah. a figurehead in a lot of uh, wrestlers' lives. I remember, yeah, I remember first meeting him face to face. I guess around the same time I met you at that IPW reunion show, the first one, yeah. and I think that was the first time that I'd met Sai properly. Like I think he'd maybe cameoed and come down possibly to the sweatshop at one point same with dallas seeing dallas in real life to me was insane (laughs) like he he had a three liter for those out there dallas is one massively built man and i I, and i don't mean that in the fake sense of he's taken a few things and now he's got bigger this dude it is all natural to see this man wrestle and to see the amount of efforts that dallas put in he had a three liter jug of water and would down like 1.5 liters in maybe three gulps and go okay let's get back in there man i'm lucky <laughs> to get through one liter of water a damn day and this dude's doing it <laughs> in three gulps so to meet him and to meet Sai was uh was at, like i said at the beginning was like seeing the oscars but i'm i've yeah like, it's very a much a culture shock isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah seeing these guys from 
what some would call a bygone era, but still be active, still be helping out in each way that they mm. could. Uh, I remember working with Cy very closely after I had left IPW and, and started work on QPW with um, Scott Black and, and Sweetheart. Cy yes. and Istria and Kelso came on board as trainers. So the technically the six of us then were helping out in each way, shape or form. And I remember that's when I really got to sort of hang out and, and learn from Cy. Um, I'd seen him a couple of times at the Sunny Coast shows, but I remember very vividly going to my first QCW Sunshine Coast show. And I yeah. remember doing the first show with Sweetass and having Island Boy be in that locker room. And I went, wow, I'm going to see Cy again. This is great. This was before we started working together at QPW. This was QCW. And I'm like, I get, actually get to work with this guy. I get to share a locker room properly with this guy now, not just sort of be like, hi, I'm a young dude and I've watched tapes of you. I've, I've kind of got to know him since that reunion show. Yeah. And much to your much to yourself going into that locker room and seeing Cy and all the all those young guys at that time. Uh, I remember entering that locker room and having one of the wrestlers come up to me and I was with my girlfriend at the time and I'm out there chatting to her and I'm saying, you know, I'm really excited. It's going to be so new. It's going to be brand new. And this, this trainee came up to me and he said, uh, excuse me, um, I don't mean to interrupt. And I punched him. No, I didn't. <laughs> I said, <laughs> he, uh, he said, uh, are you flash or flash man? And I said, yeah, man. Yeah, that's me. And he goes, oh man. And he almost did like a scomo and, and almost grabbed my hand to, to do a handshake. <laughs> and yeah. I, I sort of was like, oh, okay, what's up, man? He goes, oh man, I really just want to shake your hand because it's such an honor to actually meet you. And I, at that point, I'd never really received that kind of admiration or praise from younger talent at that point because everyone in IPW, mm. where I was, we were all kind of coming up at the same time. And and the only yeah. people that were above us was the guys of like yourself and Cy and Ash and Cruz and Sweetass and things like that. So there was yeah. no, hey, man, I've seen or heard of your, of your tales. So I think that was the first time I'd ever received admiration from fellow um, locker room wrestlers mm -hmm. and oh, I heard so much about you. Oh, thanks man. Thanks. Um, he told me his worker name and I said, Oh great, man. Great to meet you. And he said, oh, I'm just really happy to meet you and man, because I speak so highly of you and says that you are one of the hardest workers in the room. And that when, if you're on the show tonight that we have to watch what you do, because you may be a short dude, but you wrestle like you're a big dude. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's really nice, man. And I mm. remember saying to Cy later on, man, this, one of your guys came up to me and said that you've been saying this. And he goes, oh, bro, hard out. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I, I, I told all the guys that you're on this show and that they should, if we have a monitor, which I think we do, he goes, I told all the guys to watch the monitor and watch how you work. And he goes, bro, you may only be four foot ten, four foot nine, four foot ten, whatever you are. He goes, but man, even even when I watch, man, he goes, you you go out there and you'll wrestle like you're 11 foot tall, brother. And he goes, that's what these guys need to learn. They need to feel comfortable in their body and they, do, mm. they need to know how to work and, and, and adjust for their size. So size has been really such a figurehead in, in a lot of people's wrestling careers. And I'm glad that he was there for you when you when you went up to Townsville, man. Definitely. So, So how long was it then when – you, you've, you've come up to Townsville, you've started doing wrestling again for now, what feels like, what, 
a third federation. What do you think at this point, being three, almost three federations in, excluding Japan and all the other interstate ones, in Queensland, you're now at your third federation, you've done MIW, you started PWAQ, you've come up to AWA. Oh, hell, it's your fourth one. You've, you've gone now to yeah. Q, QWA. What is the mindset like for federations in now at this point? Are you still feeling burnt out or are you feeling at this stage, hey, I know the signs now of when I'm getting burnt out and I know when to reel it back in. What's it like now heading into the fourth federation for you? Um, it was sort of learning from all the mistakes from the other ones. Yeah. Like learning uh, at PWA that I was overspending and I was overreaching and then uh, – grindhouse it was very much like i had my vision of what i wanted to do but maybe half the guys wanted to do it so that became very frustrating and um yeah i was just happy to teach a whole bunch of new guys and i was also happy i didn't have that financial burden which is always a killer in wrestling when you're running stuff all right, guys, we're going to hit the pause button right there with my interview with Australian Wolf, a.k.a. Mason Childs. Don't worry, there is still part two to come. I want to thank you all for tuning into the podcast thus far. Hey, if you're a fan of the podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share, hashtag, retweet, whatever you need to do to get this podcast out there. You can follow Little Man Big Conversations at LMBC Podcast on Facebook and instagram and at lmbc underscore podcast on twitter so i thank you guys again and i'll see you next week